uh, place in an offering plate. That just gives us information about yourself and how to reach back out to you. Um, there are a number of announcements. I would encourage you to look in the bulletin at some point. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Uh, dear Lord, I just thank you for uh, letting us gather here this morning, Lord. Lord, thank you that you love us uh, despite our fears and our failures, Lord. Lord, I just pray that just uh, during this moment, Lord, uh, we would pre prepare our hearts to worship you, Lord. Lord, uh, I pray for Danny as he gives the message, Lord. May your word be preached, Lord, and Lord, may we hear your uh, word and may we respond. Lord, may we grow to love others more, Lord, and to love you more this morning. In Jesus' name.
as he is in the fifth grade. And you remember what that's like, folks. If you don't, you need to get back in touch with your fifth grade self. Our flowers over here on the organ this morning are in memory of Lee Cash. Lee's uh, service or homegoing service was on Tuesday, and the family left those for us to enjoy. So I just wanted to point that out, that those flowers are in her memory. We want to continue to pray for those who have been affected uh, by Hurricane Ian, those in Florida. A lot of folks are going back to nothing um, when they left a lot. And so I want to pray for them as well as South Carolina, North Carolina, even Virginia, parts of Virginia that got hit with some heavy rains and um, some wind, but nothing like they experienced in Florida. Somebody shared with me, Buck didn't tell me it, but after first service, somebody said Buck is getting ready to leave. Is that concerning? Buck and Shelvin. So Buck typically goes out to Samaritan's Purse or the BJV, and so they're leaving for Florida. Buck and Shelvin it's time to, to go do recovery efforts down there. So continue to think about them as well as when you're seeing stuff on the news. Let that be a prompter and reminder. A number of folks um, with COVID this past week, Maggie Tolley, one of our elementary uh, young ladies, was diagnosed with COVID and RSV. And you know, they say you're not supposed to be able to get COVID 90 days after having it. Well, Maggie blew that one out of the water because she had it just about 60 days ago. Um, the big deal with them right now, Maggie's doing pretty well, but Danielle is, is expecting their second child any day. And so they're trying to keep Danielle and Maggie separate and, a lot going on there, but remember uh, Maggie as well as uh, Kelly Dennison. Kelly was diagnosed with uh, COVID, and they have an adult son, Marshall, that lives with them who has a variety of health uh, concerns, and so want to really be mindful of them. And Bree's doing great. She said thanks for the prayers. They, uh, she was having a oral surgery this past Thursday and was supposed to have a bone graft. The dentist said, I don't think you need the bone graft. And she said the prayers of Mill Creek are amazing. So she was grateful to y'all for that. I want to continue to remember Judy Deal. Judy and Bob and Beth Hetherington arrived in Standing Rock. They left Thursday morning, spent three days, 500 miles plus a day getting to, to uh, Standing Rock, arrived there last night, and are getting ready to serve there um, in the Dakotas this week. So continue to remember them, especially on the journey home as well. Bubby Ensmanger is going to be having Moe's surgery on on Tuesday to remove a place on his neck. Moses, if you're unfamiliar, where they go in and remove the um, cancer, and then they look for clean margins. If they don't, they go back and dig some more. They just keep digging and also they get clean margins. So remember Bubby and Janet this week while they uh, have that. Um, we have a prayer blanket here that is going to be going to Sharon Bowman, who is dealing with breast cancer. Many of you know Ken Stanley. Sharon is Ken's sister. And so we're going to be praying over this blanket, and would, I would encourage you to do the same. Justin Powell, John and Josephine's son Justin in Florida, um, is home and recovering well from um, his low hemoglobin and uh, had a bleeding ulcer. They were able to, to get all that straightened out. John and Josephine hunkered down in a hotel in Florida uh, and waited Ian out. They are leaving to come home this morning. And so remember them as they travel as well. Um, my, Peggy Fridley. Peggy is one of our members. She has been in the hospital since when, Tuesday or Wednesday. They're moving her from her room to the rehab floor at Lewisdale uh, today. She's had a blood infection that they've been um, trying to get under control. So remember Peggy. 
Uh, a friend of uh, John Powell, John asked us to pray for the Wilmer family. Steve Wilmer, a friend of John's, passed away unexpectedly, and so we want to pray for them. Also, um, James River High School, remember that school, that community of teachers and um, students at James River, a senior at River, um, took his life on Thursday, and so they are um, dealing with the loss of a classmate, the loss of a student there, and I know they would appreciate your prayers for that community and the family especially. I believe the service is Tuesday um, for this young man, so I want to lift them up as well. I'm sure you have prayer requests on your hearts and minds. I would encourage you as we pray to just allow the Spirit to speak to you, to your heart. What might be obstructing you from experiencing the power and presence of Christ in a, in a very significant way um, when we come to this meal in a few moments? And whatever the Spirit lays on your heart, why don't you give that over to the Lord during this time of prayer so that when we do come to this moment, you'll be ready, refreshed and ready to experience Christ's presence in a new way today. Let's go to the Lord's Prayer. God, we do come before you on this beautiful day in this sanctuary. It's not as beautiful outside, but it sure is beautiful inside. The presence of your Spirit in this place filling this sanctuary, the praises of your people being lifted up, as Cindy said, it was just too good not to sing again. And Father, it is to hear the voices of your people singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs is such a beautiful moment, and we thank you for that. We thank you that you are here in our presence in this place, that you are speaking to us as we sing these songs, as we look into your word, and Father, as we share this meal, God, even now, begin to speak to our hearts. What are those things we need to give over to you before we come to this meal in a few moments? And Father, help each one of us to turn that over um, in submission and obedience to you. Father, we come on behalf of these we've mentioned for Charlie Olson. Lord, thank you for him, and we pray for him as he continues to grow, not just physically, but in, in, in relationship with you. Father, that he would continue to grow spiritually and mature in that way as his body matures naturally. Father, the spiritual maturity isn't natural. It's something we have to, we have to work at. So, Lord, we pray for that in his life. Father, for these that we mentioned with COVID this week, um, Lord, we lift them up and pray that their bodies would heal. For those who are going to be having procedures like Buddy, Father, we lift him up and pray that you would give him a sense of your presence and peace. And for Peggy Fridley, as she's uh, being moved to the rehab area and they're working on this infection in her blood, Father, be with her. Lord, for those who have lost loved ones, the Wilmer family and the uh, and, and, and Donna Crawford and her extended family with Lee's passing. We think of the James River family and community with the passing of those teenagers. Lord, we pray that you would speak to them. You promised to be with us in our valleys of grief and loss. And so, Father, we pray for that. Lord, continue to be with these folks. For those who have procedures coming up, Lord, we lift them up. For those who have recently had them, we give you thanks and pray for healing. Father, for this blanket that's going to be going to Ken Stanley's sister, Lord, we pray that this blanket wouldn't just warm her body as she covers up with it, but it would warm her spirit and help to give her a reminder of hope that we have in you. As so many have testified, the blankets do for them. So, Lord, we pray for her as she goes through these cancer treatments that 
would bless and watch over first. Father, for others that we mentioned or not, Lord, you know these requests that are on hearts and minds and we turn them over to you. Others, we prepare to collect our offering, Lord, blessing it, multiplying it in ways that we can't imagine. Be with Judy and Bob and Beth who are serving with others in Standing Rock and Buck and Shelba as they prepare to go to Florida and give them protection. Lord, thank you for laying this on their hearts to go and share your love with others. Watch over them as they go. Be with those who have been affected by the year this past week and in the days and months and even years for some to come. Comfort them as they try to make sense and heads or tails out of their lives and things that they've left behind and lost. But Father, we know our hope is not in earthly treasures, but our hope is in you in whose name we pray.
for this moment in which we pause to remember the significance behind this bread and this cup in our life as Christ's followers. Speak to our hearts, Jesus, as we share this meal together. It is in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen and living Savior, who conquered death and the grave, and in whom we find our hope that we trust. Amen. Let me invite you at this time to begin making the way here to the front. Once again, know that our hope is in you. 
We have the blessing that Jesus gave to his disciples. He said, as often as you eat of this bread, eat it in remembrance of me. Jesus took the cup of redemption that was present at that meeting. And in like fashion, scripture says, he blessed and gave thanks for us again as we pray with us. Father, we thank you for sending your son to save us from our sins, that um, he gave his life and shed his blood, for we know without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin. And so, Lord, we, we remember at this time the sacrifice that you made for us. And uh, may we never forget that in Jesus' name. And after blessing, he shared it with his disciples and said, as often as you drink from this cup, you drink it. how in today's society 
We use hell as a descriptor for a variety of things, and the things that we often use it to describe relate to what it is actually going to be like, but yet we use it so freely, we use it so often, that, that I think people have lost touch with the reality of this eternal place called hell and what it's going to be like, even though we use it to describe things. People who will use it as a descriptor don't believe it's an actual place, but yet they'll use it as a descriptor. Let me just throw some out there so that you, you can see what I'm talking about. We use it to describe a terrible mess. We look at somebody's room and we go, wow, that is a, of a mess. <laughs> when someone comes in on a hot August day, all of a sudden they become a weatherman. They've been bailing hay and they come in and they proclaim, wow, it is hotter than outside today. I keep doing this because eventually I'm going to talk to my mom. <laughs> and I don't want my mouth poked out. <laughs> We're saying hell so much. When someone is in a bad relationship or they're living in a horrible part of town, we say, wow, they're living in If we're not willing to do something for someone, we tell them it's going to be a full day in before I do that. People have said something to me before, and I, I look at my watch and I say, I, I don't have on my calendar that today is the day for hell to freeze over. So no, I don't think that's, that's right. <laughs> you know, we use it. Um, oftentimes we'll say, and right now, three games into the season, this is how I'm feeling, the team doesn't have a snowball chance in. <laughs> Some of our hokey people might be feeling that way this morning. <laughs> sorry. No, I am really sorry. Um, I don't have a dog in that fight, so. Yeah, we don't have a snowball chance of making it. We use it to describe a variety of things. Um, if we're determined that something is going to happen, we'll say, come or high water. We'll make sure it gets done. Are you getting picture? All of those are descriptors that we use, and all of them probably can reference this eternal place called hell in a pretty good way. People use it to describe a variety of things, but have you ever really stopped to think about that place and what it's going to be like? That's the brokenness that I preached from last week, because as I have wrestled and studied these passages, it's, it's been heavy on my heart knowing that people, some good people, we looked at that last week, some really good people are going to end up there. And this morning, I want us to just look at, last week we looked at who will be in hell, this week I just want to look at what it will be like. Last week we discovered that it is a personal decision that we make to either accept Christ the grace of God and the redemption that we can receive, the salvation we can receive through Christ, it is a personal decision we make, or it's a personal decision that we don't make. But either way, it's a personal decision. God does not send somebody. God does not. There's only one person that's going to be banished to hell, and that's Satan. But God doesn't send people. There's a personal decision that they make on whether to invite Christ into their lives or not whether you go to heaven or whether you go to hell in the end. 
Hell is scary for a lot of people, and it should be. But my purpose today is not to scare the hell out of somebody so that they go to heaven. That's not the, that's not the reason that we choose heaven. That's not the reason we choose a relationship with Jesus Christ, because we got scared out of one place and into another. It should be scary, but rather than focusing on who's going to be there, this morning, like I say, I want us to consider what it will be like. And Jesus gives us some pretty good indicators in this passage here in Luke chapter 16. So follow along with me, beginning in verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate, or at his front door if you would, at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat the food, uh, longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, or in hell, where he was in torment, he, being the rich man, looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things Well, Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. <coughs> Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises. From the dead. Again, this is one of those passages we jump right into the middle of something, and to really understand it, you've got to go back to Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. And if you go back to there, what you discover is Jesus is in a place, and he's teaching, and now, here's what 1 and 2 of Luke 15 say, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. All the sinners gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So in response to the Pharisees' words, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them, Jesus tells some parables. He tells a parable about a lost sheep and the shepherd that left the 99. He tells a parable about the lost coin. He tells a parable about a prodigal son or a lost son. He tells a parable about a clever or a shrewd manager. All as a way of responding to the Pharisees' indignation that he would have the audacity 
to welcome sinners and even eat with them. And so he has gone through these parables as a means of silencing the Pharisees. Then he uses this story as a vivid description of what would happen to them if they continued in their greed and in their unbelief. Why? Because remember, it's a choice on whether to believe in God and accept his grace and mercy. And it's a choice to stay in unbelief. And so Jesus tells them this story as a way of wrapping up this section as in a means of silencing them. There are a variety of thoughts as to whether this is a parable or an actual story that might have happened. With the parables, we get a sense that it's a parable. We get a sense that Jesus is telling this story as a way of getting people thinking, but, but none of them had a personalized name to it like we do here. And so some theologians go, well, this must have been a true story because Jesus adds the personal name of somebody into it. We don't know. There's debate over it. In the end, it really doesn't matter. It's meant to convey a message to them as well as to us. And so let's look closer at what Jesus had to say in this story about life, about death, and about eternity. And see what we can draw away from it for our lives. The first part that we see is Jesus talks about life before death. In verses 19 through 21, there was a rich man who was dressed in fine linens and purple, and he welcomed all kinds of folks into his life. He lived a lavish lifestyle, is the impression we get. Fine purple was a, a symbol of royalty, and so Jesus is setting up the crowd right here. It was the first century equivalent of dressing in the latest fashions, having the newest sneakers, having the most expensive outfits from wherever it is that people get them today. Designer clothing at its best was on this rich man. He seemed to have it all together. And there's nothing about his life that indicates the future that awaits him. Because, again, people looked at him and thought, this is somebody who's got it going on. But then Jesus introduces a second character into the plot. At his gate, at his door, was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the local dogs came and licked Lazarus's sores. The rich man's body is covered in designer clothes, fine fashions, while Lazarus's body is covered with sores. Lazarus was most likely crippled. Somebody had to lay him at the gate on a daily basis. He couldn't get there on his own, and so somebody brought him and put him there because they figured if we put him here, the rich guy on the other side is either going to help him out or all these people coming to his dinner party or somebody's going to help him out, right? So we put him here. But the bread that Lazarus longed to eat, that was the bread that fell from the table. You know, they didn't necessarily have the utensils that we do today, and so they would use bread as a way of scooping up stew or lentils or whatever, and that bread would break and fall to the ground, and that's what the wild dogs, they didn't have house pets like we do. They had wild dogs, and that's what the wild dogs got to eat was what fell through the ground. So really, Lazarus was just longing for some dog food. Well, the local wild dogs licked his sores. By all appearances, 
Caiaphas, the rich man, could have helped Lazarus, but he ignored him and continued to just enjoy his wealth and his recognition. So we have the contrast of two lives prior to death. But then Jesus gives us a contrast of these same two lives after they died in verses 22 to 23. It was author Kilroy J. Oldster who said, Death is the great equalizer of human beings. And death changed everything for these two men in this story. In verse 22, we read the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him. He'd been carried to, Lazarus, to the rich man's gate, and now the angels are carrying him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. When Lazarus died, they probably took his body and tossed it into the local landfill where fires were burning to get rid of the trash. The rich man, Scripture says, also died and was buried, but most likely he was given a rich man's funeral. In that day, they would pay mourners to show up. I mean, the more the merrier, right? If people were celebrating their death, if a lot of people were there, you looked at a packed house at a funeral, and you go, oh, this person's really loved. And you look at some, and you go, ooh, man, where's And so we get this impression that this rich man had a rich man's kind of funeral. I've done a lot of funerals in my years in ministry. I've seen some of those where the place was packed. There's been funerals where they had to move it to a different location in order to accommodate the crowd that they were anticipating for the person that was deceased. I did two funerals this past week. Both of them different. But probably the funeral that stands out most in my mind is one that I did a number of years ago. Local funeral home called me, said they had a homeless person that they were going to be buried. And this funeral home said every person deserves dignity at death. And the person that normally did those funerals for them was sick, not available, and for some reason they called me and said, would you be available? to do this funeral. And I said, sure, because I agreed with it. There's a city cemetery, don't know if you know this, there's a city cemetery by Corner Springs. If you know where Corner Springs is off 460. I had no idea the cemetery was there until I showed up to do the funeral. You're shaking your head because it's right behind your house. <laughs> I showed up, graveside only, casket,
people with riches, and God blessed people with recognition, and God found favor in people who had these things. And so now you're telling me that the guy who we thought had favor and blessings ended up in hell, and the guy who didn't ended up in heaven? All of those sinners who had gathered around to listen to Jesus at that moment were going, Well, all of the rich Pharisees were going, you better hold on, buddy. He was tossing them under that proverbial bus at that moment. But understand this, again, from last Sunday. We don't end up in heaven or hell based on our wealth or based on any possessions we have. We end up in heaven or hell based on the decisions we make, as well as the decisions we make with what we have. But it all boils down to that one decision. Have you invited Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? If yes, then when you die, angels, whoever, ushers you into heaven. If you have not made that decision when you die, it is to hell. But it's based off of your choices, your decisions in life. It doesn't matter how rich or esteemed you are or not. They ended up where they were because of decisions made well living. According to James 2.26, death happens when our spirit leaves our body, our physical body. But death is not the end. Death is simply the beginning of our existence forever. We are wired by God to live for eternity. I did a funeral yesterday for a 91-year-old woman. Her family members said, even at 91, she left us too soon. Why did they say that? Because we've been wired for eternity. And so it doesn't matter how many years you live on this earth, we have this thing within us that Scripture says God placed in our heart a desire to know Him. That desire leads us down a variety of paths in life and search for what's going to fill that spot, what we're going to receive peace and contentment and joy from. And people keep looking until they find a relationship with Jesus Christ that fills that spot, and then they go, what I've been longing for all of my life. But there are some people who hear the gospel message and who keep looking. They keep searching and they don't come to that decision. The one thing that's going to fill that spot is a relationship with Christ. And so our death, when our body ceases to live on this earth, our spirit leaves our body and goes someplace for eternity. And that's based on the decisions we made while alive. For the Christian, death means to be present with the Lord. Paul writes about it in Philippians 1, verses 21 to 24, as well as 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 8. In essence, what Paul says in both of those passages is simply this. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In other words, when my spirit one day leaves my body, it will no longer be in here, but it will be with God. It will be with Christ in eternity. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. For those who don't decide to enter into a relationship with Jesus while they're living, death means to be separated eternally. So where I'm going to be with the Lord, that decision to not follow Christ in this life separates us for eternity from the Lord. And we they find themselves as this rich man did in torment. When people die, only their bodies 
go into the grave. The real person, their spirit, goes into eternity, either to paradise or this place of torment is the way that Jesus describes it. Two lives, two deaths, two decisions that determine their destinies. We're going to look at heaven in the coming week. Thank you, God. But for today, we're going to learn a little bit more about what hell looks like. Verses 24 through 31 begin to describe the fury of hell. Hell has no fury. I got news for you. It does. Some people have a picture of hell that's not based on reality. Some people have a picture of eternity that's not based on reality. For instance, Mark Twain. Mark Twain once said, I'll take heaven for the climate and hell for the society. It doesn't work that way, Mark. Sorry, buddy. The rock band, if, if you are a child of the 70s or 80s, or even if you're a child today but enjoy classic rock, in 1979, ACDC came out with a hit song and album, Highway to, some of y'all listen to that, didn't you? Yeah. Highway to Hell. We've looked at that that highway is broad, the gate is wide, and the way is broad. That's the highway to hell. The lyrics of that song begin this way. Living easy, loving free, season ticket on my one-way ride, asking nothing, leave me be, taking everything in my stride. Don't need reason, don't need rhyme, ain't nothing that I'd rather do, going down party time. My friends are going to be there too. I'm on the highway. You know, I have a few. People would not be so dismissive about hell. They wouldn't be so flippant about hell if they understood the reality of hell. Through the experience of the two men, Jesus gives us a glimpse into what it will be like for those who decide not to enter into a relationship with Christ in this life. It's brief but powerful enough to counter many of the misconceptions that people in society today have when it comes to what hell will be like, or even if there is a hell at all. And so I just want to share some of these misconceptions that Scripture talks about in this passage. One of those would be that hell is nothingness. We simply cease to exist when we die. We're dead. They put us in the ground. The end. That's not true at all. Jesus lets us know that there is life after death. C.S. Lewis was told about a gravestone inscription that read, Here lies an atheist, all dressed up and nowhere to go. To which Lewis quietly replied, I bet, I bet he wishes that were so. Scripture tells us hell is a real place of conscientious anguish. The rich man wasn't dreaming. He was fully aware of his surroundings in this story. He could feel. He could speak. He could experience thirst. And he says he was in anguish. He was in torment. In verse 24, he pleads, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. The person that he ignored day after day, the person he could have helped, he 
crying out to you for help. Because he can see where he is. He can see where Lazarus is and what Lazarus is experiencing compared to where he is and what he is experiencing. This is not the only place the Bible uses vivid, fiery language to describe hell. Last week we saw that in Matthew 25, 30, where Jesus describes hell as a place of outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't know about you, but when we're camping and it's dark, we have a fire, not just for warmth, but for light. But do you realize that hell is described as this tormenting fire, but also described as dark? I don't know if you've ever been to Mammoth Cave in Kentucky. We used to take people that would come for an extended visit when they would come to see us to, to Mammoth Cave. It was a really cool place to go. And when you get down into the depths of the cave, the tour guide turns off the light. It is so dark, you can put your hand right here and not see it waiting in front of you. It is pitch black dark. And hell is described as dark, but yet full of fire. Hell is also described in Mark 9, 48 as a place where worms eat people but neither die. And the fire, Mark said, is not quenched. In the book of Revelation, the final judgment is described as a lake of fire. Every description of hell, and like I said last week, Jesus talks a lot about it, so we should probably pay attention. Every description concerning hell involves suffering, torment, and agony. Jesus uses the word torment four times in this passage, and it speaks of this excruciating, agonizing, definite pain that this rich man felt. So no, you do not simply, simply cease to exist and no more. Hell is a real place of torment. People who choose to go there will be fully aware, will be fully alive in those surroundings. And remember this forever. It's hard for me to grasp forever, y'all. Because I do funerals where we have dates on people's lives. We have a certain number of years lived. It's like, well, hey, that's 61, 91, 85, whatever. And, and, and it's hard for me to grasp forever. Because right now, I've been alive 60 years. And I feel like I've been alive a long time. But forever, forever is where we spend eternity. Misconception number two, not recognizing the choices we make in this lifetime determine our destiny in the next. There are no second chances after death. Abraham responds to the rich man in verse 25 with the, with the word, son, remember. Our memory is a wonderful thing until it's not. Son, remember that in your lifetime, you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted, and here, and here, and you are in agony. I think that one of the scariest parts of hell to me is the undying memory of what could have been. Son, remember. The undying memory of what could have been. What could have been with the choices we made while we were here alive. Those choices that determine our destiny for eternity. Remembering what we could have done. Remembering those opportunities where Christ spoke to our 
hearts, but we didn't respond. Remembering those moments where somebody was laying in our doorstep, but we didn't seek to help them out. Remembering, remembering, remembering. That's got to be one of the scariest parts of hell. Because in my life right now, I know because of the decisions I've made in my life, that when I die, I will be with God in eternity forever. But right here on this earth, there are moments every day where Satan tries to trip me up and remind me of my sin. But how would you like that sin to be just a constant reel playing through your mind for eternity? Yeah, you did these things. and Yeah, he did. He could have forgiven you, but no, he chose not to receive that forgiveness. So, yeah, remember, remember, remember. If you think Satan bugs you with your memories of sins here on earth, imagine what it's going to be like to have that moment. Misconception number three. I'll spend a little time there, pay my dues, and get out. Look at verse 26. Besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. The separation between you and God that could have been bridged by Jesus Christ here on this earth, that moment where you could have accepted and received salvation, you denied. And that bridge is gone. And now there's a chasm, like the causeway leading to Sanibel Island. No one can go over, and no one can come back. It's a complete separation. It's uncrossable. There is no purgatory. There is no reincarnation. There is no praying somebody out of hell. There is no chance for relief. There is no way out. There is no end. No kidding. In hell, it's too late to pray. It's too late to change your mind. And it's too late to repent. Hell is total, conscious, eternal separation from the blessings of God. Hell is a place void of hope for eternity. Misconception number four. What the hell? Hell's not going to be so bad. I'll be in there with my buddies. <laughs> Living it up. An eternal New Year's Eve party. Woohoo! Is what Satan wants you to think. What ACDC wants you to believe. But according to verses 27 through 31, what Jesus said is not the case. We don't see the rich man living it up with others like hell is that big party. He is very much alone. We've discovered over these last couple of years of a pandemic when we were isolated, we've discovered how lonely, lonely can be. And we were still connected. But imagine being separated from others for eternity. It's not a big party. Doesn't talk about others who were in hell with this man. This man was separated. It's like being in um, total confinement in a prison. You don't see anybody all day. You are isolated and apart. Notice the rich man didn't say, Can't wait till my brothers will get here. Can't wait till they join me in this place. No. 
The rich man expresses concern for his brothers. And all of a sudden, he's calling for a missionary. I need somebody to go and to warn my brothers because their choices in life have consequences in the neck. And I'm experiencing that. Somebody's got to go tell my brothers. I don't want them to experience this. So what did Abraham say? They've got Moses and the prophets. They've got the word of God. That's not enough. Send Lazarus. If somebody comes back from the dead, I've said before, if somebody with the clout of Billy Graham had died, dead died, and then come back to life and began to preach about it, there'd have been a whole lot of people getting saved. Or would there? Because what does Jesus say? Even if somebody comes back from the dead, as a matter of fact, I know somebody named Jesus Christ who did come back from the dead. Even if somebody were to come back from the dead, they wouldn't believe. They've got the prophets, they've got Moses, they've got the Word of God. That's all they need. God may not give supernatural signs and wonders to get us to repent. God does give us all the information we need. We've got history. We've got nature. We've got the Holy Spirit speaking to us boldly. We've got what we need to make that decision. We've got everything at our disposal to make that decision. They got everything they have. The writer of Hebrews in verses 1 and 2 said, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. God has spoken to humanity through creation, through history, through His Word, through His Son. And Paul told the church at Rome and in Romans that all of these have been clearly seen. So why? So that people are without excuse. excuse with where they end up for eternity. There's a story that one day Vice President Calvin Coolidge was presiding over the Senate. And one senator angrily told another to go straight to hell. Sure, I'm glad our politicians aren't like that today. <laughs> I'm sorry. The senator that was offended by the statement, looked at Coolidge and said, as presiding officer, aren't you going to do something about this person's behavior? The story goes that Coolidge had been leafing through some book while listening to the debate and without looking up, replied, I've looked through the book. You don't have to go. I've looked through this book. You don't have to go. It is a decision that we make whether to go or not based on what we hear from God and based on what we decide to do with what we hear from God. But here's the deal. I think for so many of us, we have heard the story. We've accepted and we aren't going to hell. We are going to heaven. But I can guarantee that there are people in your lives who are. Each one of us here today and online probably knows somebody 
who we believe is going to end up in hell because they have not yet decided. I did a funeral recently, and one of the siblings of the deceased came up to me afterwards and said, tears in their eyes, said, thank you. I went to see them, and I wanted to share the gospel with them, but they were already non-responsive when I got there. And what I shared was that sometime before this person's passing, they looked at one of their children and one of their caregivers and simply said, I have invited Jesus into my heart. I'm ready to go. And the sibling of the deceased was in tears, grateful to know that his loved one had made that decision. We all know people, family, friends, who have not made that decision. We know people who we believe are going to hell. And if we choose to say nothing to them, what we are saying is go straight to hell. If we choose to say nothing, our non-words speak volumes. We know the outcome. We've read the book. You don't have to go. And I'd rather you did. That was my brokenness last week. Jesus said, many will end up there. One is too many in my eyes. So what do we do? We take what we've received and we begin to share it with those we know. Father, thank you for this reminder. Every life has an opportunity to decide. Every decision made while living determines our destiny. Father, for those of us who have invited Christ into our life, we know the end. We don't have to go, but it's a choice that we have to make. So, Father, help each one of us, first of all, to decide if we've made that choice. Second of all, if we have, to reach out to others so that they, too, can have the knowledge to make it. Be with us during this time of closing never invited Jesus into your heart if you've not made that decision, why not? What's keeping you from doing that? I'd love to share Christ with you online or here, or maybe you've already made that decision and you want to make it public. We'd love to celebrate with you in that. As we close out worship and sing, I'd invite you to come and make that public. Maybe you're sitting there and you realize, ooh, I've made the decision, but I haven't thought about my silence for others. It's just as damn So maybe in an act of commitment, rededication, refocusing, you just need to stop and pray and say, God, give me the boldness, give me the courage to reach out to that person, to share the decision I made so that they can make a decision. If you'd like to know more about becoming part of the Mill Creek family, I'd love to share with that with you. If you've got some other decision to make, it has nothing to do with this service, but you know God is laying on your heart to make that decision, we'd love to celebrate with you in that. We're going to close this worship out by singing the old rugged cross. If you have a decision to make, come on down. If not, let's just worship and be reminded of Calvary at that cross for you.
about life and death, eternal perspectives, and I would simply look at them one-on-one -on -one and say, are you good? Are you ready to meet Jesus? And they would say, yes, or on occasion one would say, I don't think so. I would love to look at each one of you this morning and in the eye and say, are you good? Consider that being done. Are you good? And if not, please let that conversation one is too many. I'd rather, I'd rather worship with you in eternity and have you alone in hell. Are you good? And as you leave this place, look at those around you and ask that same question to God. Are you good? And if not, maybe you're a missionary or maybe you need to be. Bless you. Bless you this week.